Salt and Light, Time of the End, Part 2. And you can also open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, that's coming, and Judges chapter 6. I'm glad you're here today. This, this is part 2. There will be a part 3. Many think we are living in the time of the end, and many of us want to talk about it. And I do love the bowls and the trumpets and the beasts and the ten horns and all that. I really do. Ask Emily. I've been studying it for over 30 years. But if this is the time of the end, then how should we be, really? How should we act? What should be our priorities? Our real priorities actually lived out, not just professed. So I'm more interested in building that part up first. Because if we miss salt and light, who cares if you know what season the rapture is going to happen? Why does it even matter, really? So listen. Did you know that every New Testament book except Philemon has a warning about false teachers and or false Christ? Wonder why that is. Hmm, wonder if there was a clue. See, last week I started by saying do not take the parts of the message out of context but consider the whole. And I'll make that same claim today but I wanna add to it a question. I want you to ponder throughout the next few months, particularly the next few weeks, I want you to ask yourself this. Do you think you can spot false teaching and false Christ? And if so, from what and from where do you derive your discernment? Straight up. See, our enemy is an astounding deceiver who is so crafty it is hard for people to understand how slick he really is. We picture this red guy in a suit with horns and a tail and a pitchfork, and that is so far from what's really going down. See, when Jesus really gives you eyes to see and ears to hear, it'll blow your hair back, and you can't unsee what you saw. Even if you're Clayton or Brad Reichel, it'll blow your hair back. That's a metaphor, okay? When those moments come that make you wonder about your moral stance, on this or that, and those moments will come where you'll start to, to wobble. See, authentic eyes to see and ears to hear will get you through. You know what I'm talking about. When you know something is wrong, but it seems everyone around you is saying it's now okay, so you will start to question yourself. It happens. Then the settled truth you have seen the subtle truth you have heard, dare I say the subtle truth you have tasted, will win the day. That's what this is about. But alas, there are those who feel so strongly that they could never be deceived, they now have to move the goalposts to accommodate their own delusion. Their fortified pride is now part of the problem. See, once the enemy has convinced enough of these type of folks to do this or that, that or that this is right and it's not wrong anymore, it starts to coalesce. It starts to solidify in their spirit. And then folks will wall themselves in within their own delusions. And false teachers who peddle a fake gospel are the worst offenders of this travesty. That in a nutshell, folks, is what the slide into global chaos is actually really is. That's what it is. 
which is why we hold out hope for every delusional person we have encountered. In my 20 months in Iowa, I've encountered some delusional people, and my hope was they were going to come out of it. My true hope for them is rescue by the Savior for an ongoing discernment for God's people in this dark culture. That's been what I've been trying to do since the day I arrived in town, in one way, shape, or form. See, we hope folks can find a fresh encounter, pun intended. Charles Spurgeon said this, I'll put it on the screen for you. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong, it is knowing the difference between right and almost right. When it comes to discerning truth from error, sometimes it's, it's in plain sight, sometimes it's right there. It sticks out like an ugly duckling, you can't miss it. But even then, even in that scenario, even when it's obvious, because of our beat-down society, listen to me now, because of our beat-down society, the non-stop grooming you and I have been put under to become people who will not take any type of stand. That's what's happened to us. We've been told that to take a stand about anything is unloving or is wrong. So it's difficult not to give up. Toss in the towel, say, you know what, I've had enough of this garbage. It's easy for some to then say, well, at least we have almost right, so at least we have almost right, so let's not get too, too bummed out. You follow what I'm saying? I want to show you the Fresh Encounter Church mission statement. I'm going to read it to you, and it's going to be on the screen. Pay attention to this, okay? I read this at least once a month. I never, I never even come to the pulpit without it being in my book. It's right here. It's always with me. If you have a mission statement and that ain't what you are about, why do you have the mission statement? You follow? It says, at FEC, which stands for Fresh Encounter Church, our mission is to explore the word and solidify our faith, to find, follow, and face the absolute truth, encountering Christ in a real and relevant way to help those who choose to follow Christ find their calling, connect to others, to reach people far from God and restore them to a place of freedom in Christ so that they can make a difference in our community and around the world. I want you to notice and focus on restore them to freedom in Christ. There are some of the most sound, sold-out believers you will know, and they will wobble and they will stumble. That includes your leaders, that includes your pastor, that includes uh, the, the, the women's leaders, that, that includes the, the Christian in your office that you look up to. All of those people will still struggle from time to time. It's part of the fight. The Bible says daily in keeping with repentance, his mercies are renewed. What happens every morning when his mercies are renewed? You're restored to your place of freedom in Christ. Now, to get this, let me just take a second and explain what the cross actually is because our society seems to have lost touch with that. See, we live in a fallen world where even who Jesus really is becomes twisted and reduces his power and his sacrifice, and I'll get into that later in the message. See, I want you to understand something. You were born into sin. You are a sinful creature, as am I. We all know that we've broken God's law. We all know that not one of us is good enough no matter how good we are. 
And that old lie that Satan says, well, at least you're not like Hitler and you're not a bad person, so God is love and he's forgiving, he's just gonna give you a pass at the end of the day, is not true. God demands a blood sacrifice for sin. Why? Because that's the only thing that justifies it in front of the fallen, evil, satanic world. God is holy, and so he wants to make sure that his holiness does not get corrupted. Life is in the blood. How come man can do everything but cannot replicate blood? We have to donate it for transfusions. Because there's life in that blood that can't be manufactured in the lab. So a blood sacrifice is required. Because sin came through one man, Adam, that means that one man could take away the sins of the world if he was worthy in Revelation to break those scrolls. And no one was worthy. Except for in Genesis 3.15, it tells us it'll be the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman, born of a virgin. It was God coming to earth as the son of God, the spotless lamb to take away the sins of the world. He lived a perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And then he chose willingly to get spiked to a cross to be a blood sacrifice, to be crushed for our sins. He is put there as a substitute. And just like the Old Testament, which dovetails into the New Testament, hand in glove, Moses had people look to that uh, stick. We look to the cross. Because Jesus Christ is our substitute. He takes on himself the punishment that was due to us. He is our sacrifice. He is our substitute. But I just thought that we should follow his teachings. WWJD. You see how weak that is? We are made in God's image and we are to be reflections of Jesus. We are to be made more like Christ every day. But oh, how that concept is twisted into creating Jesus who is not the real Jesus, not the Lord of Lords, not the King of Kings that we come to worship today. So let's review the four points that undergird the whole salt and light series. Number one, we need to be salt and light in our homes. Number two, we need salt and light in our churches. Number three, we must tear down false gods. And there's the the text from last week. Number four, we must build up that which honors God. That's the co-text from last week. Do you see in just those points that are laid out for you, salt and light is critical. Salt and light represents a lot of what Jesus tells his true followers to be about. So let's look at Gideon in Judges 6. Now before we get to the part of the text Kevin read for us today, I want to remind you that the Old Testament and New Testament are connected. They're separated by 400 years, right? But everything in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. When you read the Old Testament, not with Jewish eyes, but with Christian eyes, not with behavior modification eyes, but with freedom in Christ eyes, not with I'm lost and have to earn my salvation and I gotta sacrifice bulls to get there, but Jesus paid it all. He's my sacrifice, he's my substitute. It comes together in the most harmonious way. Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22, it's beautiful. And once you have your eyes open to the ways of God, once you pass from milk to solid food, dare I say chewing on some steak, you're going to find that there is nothing on planet Earth that will give you satisfaction and deep peace and it is well with you to your core like knowing Jesus and seeing him fulfilled in all the scriptures. 
It's a beautiful thing. So earlier in Judges 6, we learned that the Israelites were worshiping false gods. Now, they still did worship the one true God, but they had been mixing it with the idols of the Midianites and the Amalekites. And they were reeling now from a severe smackdown from the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the, and the Quadmites. Don't know about them, but they're in there. They swarmed them like locusts, it says. It says they took all the crops, all the food. It says them and their camels, if you read it earlier in chapter 6, it says they were without number. They couldn't count them. It was just a swarm. And they entered the land and laid waste to it. The Lord told them, told the Israelites, don't worship any other gods. But they didn't listen. So God allowed them to be oppressed. Sound familiar? In verse 6, it says, Israel became poverty-stricken and cried out to the Lord. So now Gideon is hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat in order to keep it from the Midianites. If he did it out in public, he'd be seen, and they'd swarm him and take all of his food. So then an incredible exchange happens between Gideon and the angel of the Lord. Let's look at verse 25. Let's pick it up there. That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. I know some of you pronounce it Baal, but in the Middle East they pronounce it Baal. And when you start using that kind of language, it, it makes a little more sense. This is a very deceptive God that had a lot of people held captive and his you know, Baal or Baal worship still happens today in America. It just has a different form. You want to look for it. But I want you to see in this verse, in this passage, do you see the old ways are being addressed straight up? He says, take the seven-year-old bull of your father. So that represents part of his father's sin, part of the generation that decided not to worship the one true God. Why? Because the invaders had been in the land for seven years is one explanation. And God meant to clean the land. Tear it down. Oh, that's, that sounds harsh. Tear it down down. Use the bull that's been around since all this idol worship started taking place. Rip that sucker down. Then build up something better, something more appropriate, something to worship the one true God. Verse 26, then an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. How's that for in your face? Sometimes I'm so happy in God. <laughs> Can you hear the Lord in this? Yeah, you, you know that pole that was in front to me in worship? You know that glory stealing pole? Well, it's now field for making sacrifice to me in my glory, says the Lord of hosts. I love it. Verse 27, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Let's talk strongholds today. Let's destroy some arguments today. And just like Gideon in verse 27, some are afraid so they will work for Jesus undercover or in the night. And I want to lift some of that fear today. And a little later we will build up. But I want to attack some incredible lies, breathtaking lies that are so easily refutable it makes my heart a little sick so many are easily deceived. First, let's destroy the argument of liberal Christianity or progressive Christianity. 
let's be honest. It is not Christianity at all. And the use of the term Christianity by some of these folks is just a little bit more than a tiny bit insulting to me and to those of us who are sold out to the Savior. It is closer to Baal worship than it is to authentic Christianity. It's mixing false gods with the real gods, and that Asherah pole needs to be torn down. I'm going to continue to show you what I mean. So with that solvable, listen to what I'm going to say to you now. Because this is what will come to me. You address these kind of folks, this is what you will also hear. This is what they say. Chris, don't you know that Jesus came across loving? Do you even know the fruit of the Spirit? You know, gentleness. You know, telling this to you. I'm just going to tell you this in love. I just want to tell this to you in love. You are doing more harm than good by standing so abrasively against people who need mercy and grace. Really? So you think it's more harmful to speak out against the true madness than it is to stay silent or better yet, lie to them and tell them it's all okay. So to push back, we say to them as nicely as possible, do you think you would have marched with Martin Luther King Jr. in Birmingham during the civil rights? Would you have stood up against Hitler if you were a German person in 1939? And without fail, the progressive Christian will say, well, of course I would have. Really? Now, you say, or I say, as soft as possible, as nice as possible, brother, sister, if you can't see and stand against an obvious demonic totalitarian system in 24 that is plainly evil, you can't stand against the madness of teaching kids to change their gender or to make up their gender. You can't stand you know, against drag queen story hour. You can't stand up against naked men, half naked men gyrating in front of kids. Or you're not standing against the mass murder of the unborn in this country, then you need to stop lying to yourself. You would not have been standing for any of those things because you're afraid. You would not have been standing with Bonhoeffer or cheering them as on as they opposed Hitler. You wouldn't have. The best thing, the most loving thing we can do is show you another way so that you can break your breathtaking self-delusion. We face in America today a stronghold of insanely delusional people. Who's ready to destroy some arguments and tear down some strongholds? So here are some stats about the church and Hitler from 1935. I want you to see it. 18,000 pastors in Germany in 1935. 3,000 of them stood with the confessing church. 3,000 of them actually joined Hitler in his propaganda machine. And here's the real problem, and this is where America has the problem. 12,000 said nothing. They said, you know what? Jesus is still on the throne. We'll pray for him and maybe God will break through, let the Spirit do the work. They did not stand up to destroy strongholds. They did not stand up because their life was more important. See, our king is right now looking. I've been praying, I'm telling you, this is what the Spirit's telling me and I'm sharing it with you because he called me here, you've been called here, we're here together. He's looking for who he can count on in this dark, dark, twisted generation. 
Staying silent is not an option for those he calls. Trying to find the right words is one thing, but staying silent? And then what happens is even the true warriors will wobble. They'll struggle if they're left to stand alone. We need brothers and sisters who are not afraid. I heard an excellent explanation from a family member, my daughter, when we were talking about this Christian ethic being completely stalled out and the reasons for it. This in regards to interaction with the trans, the rainbow cult, uh, you know, the LGB, alphabet ma- mafia, whatever you want to call them. And it's, it's how that many are not of that lifestyle, but defend it as if their righteousness depends on it. And do you ever notice that they always resort to name-calling those who disagree with them? Chris, didn't you just do name-calling? Yeah, I did. I I mean, I'm going to be called homophobic, transphobic, just for speaking the truth. Why not? See, here's the truthful response to when they tell us that we're homophobic or transphobic, especially if they're not of that lifestyle, which is the majority. The majority of the rainbow flag wavers are trying to have that as a replacement of righteousness because the God void in their life needs something and they think this is righteousness. And it's deception, it's delusion, and it's fake. But they think it's righteous. And we will tell them, you are allies of the ungodly because you fear them. It is those of us who speak truth and stand firm who do not fear them. The fear of the Lord, the fear of God is a healthy fear in respect of his position over us. Fear of man and then capitulating is fear of losing our position and status and that stems from pride. I've checked myself many times. I've sheathed my tongue and not said what I wanted to say. It might be a shock to some of you, but it happens. Sometime I think Appropriately. And other times I think I let the Lord down by not being strong enough. My pride got in the way. What we see clear as day in America is so many Christians in name only openly aligning with demons and satanic doctrines. Instead of openly defying God's authority by straight-up idol worship like the Israelites in Gideon's time, Americans are indirectly defying God-ordained authority by rejecting family authority, rejecting the patriarchy, rejecting government authority, or for sure they reject church authority. See, this is, in, you know, this is all part of critical theory, which is rooted in Marxism. It puts every relationship in the framework of oppressor and victim, oppressor and victim, See, if you know Jesus, God will tell you you're more than a conqueror. You're not a victim. You're actually victorious because of Jesus' substitutionary death. You're victorious. And God told Gideon, while Gideon was in hiding, he said that he was in fact a mighty warrior. The demonic ideology of critical theory tells you that you are a victim, you will always be a victim, and you will always be oppressed. The evil of this creates tribalism and division. Whereas the authentic gospel unites 
It unites us under one banner. Sidebar, that makes unity among authentic believers paramount in our journey. When you all called me as your pastor, I had one question before I'd even look at the offer. Was the vote unanimous? And if the vote wasn't unanimous, we would have parted ways right there. The vote was unanimous so we could continue. We must break down anything that's there to divide us, authentic believers. And we're gonna get into it more next week and maybe even the week after, I don't know. See, the same demon gods of the past are doing the same stuff in our world. These are fallen angels cast down. They are eternal and still exist and they are corrupting our society just as they did with corrupting ancient Israel. They've been keeping at it. They've been churning. It's just been this churn. It just takes on different faces, different looks, different vibes. And what does the Lord ask us to do in the times that we live in? He says to be salt and light to the world. None of this is brain surgery. None of this is rocket science. As my one boss used to say, none of this is rocket surgery. In the face of all of what is real, we are supposed to represent the kingdom of God here on earth, represent him in these times. And there are people out there that convince you that you have to be a wet noodle and you have to be nice. The 11th commandment, blessed be the nice. I don't think it's nice to leave people in their sins that are headed for destruction. That's just me. Salt and light. God wants to use his church to rescue people. And how our country goes, as I explained the last couple weeks, will be directly related to how the authentic church, not those who call themselves the church, but the authentic church, the bride of Christ, and how they carry out the mission of being salt and light. Think about it now. The only reason we here in America have not faced wrath-type judgment on these shores is there has been enough salt and light in this nation to, for whatever reason that I cannot explain has stayed the hand of God. There's no other explanation as to why we haven't faced the wrath of God. Praying people, sacrificing people, united people, salt and light believers, and now since the great COVID division, I'm wondering if these folks are going extinct. Feels lonely sometimes. Another reason we have not been throttled from heaven with rightfully due wrath of God is our support for the nation Israel. Don't kid yourself. In 1948, Harry Truman signed a document in the face of stiff opposition from what was then called the League of Nations. And just like the Bible prophesied, a nation was born in a day, May 14th, May 15th, 1948, in one day. Since then, we have been the most blessed nation in the history of the world. Israel doesn't happen if Harry Truman doesn't sign that document. Go look it up. Even revisionist historians can't change that fact yet. And then look at all the modern things in life that have come from 1948. It's amazing. The first computer and so on and so on. I could take the next 10 minutes. Something happened when Israel became a nation again in a day. It's amazing. Scripture says, I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. Yet we continue to fall further and further away. The great falling away is underway, just like the scripture foretold, I believe. Here's a sidebar for another day. If this current evil administration turns its back completely on Israel, which is their reported goal, then watch out and look up. 
because our destruction and those of us who know the Lord, our redemption is drawn near. It'll be at the door. Let's move on. The next stronghold I want to pull down today, I want to destroy the lie regarding the religion of evolution and its high priest, Charles Darwin. Sad how many people, some who even profess Christ, that have bent the knee to this pathetic excuse for science and stood by as this outright deception continues as the common sense law of the land. There's as much science and evolution as there is pork and pork and beans. It is a belief system. It is a belief system that has little to no evidence. For 165 years, Darwin, Darwinian evolution has been undermining scientific research, education, and the faith of billions of people. See, in real science, if, observable, you, know, if you can observe facts and that refutes an idea, then it rejected, right? That's real science. So why does Darwinism live on despite these four things? Number one, the law of biogenesis holds it never began. Number two, it conflicts with the first and second law of thermodynamics. Number three, and this is a big one for me, the fossil record and living creatures actually observed reveal no transitional beings. Even Darwin himself said, reject my theory if you can't find transitional beings in the fossil record. Gene de- number four, gene depletion plus natural selection rendered Darwinism genetically impossible. But it lives on. Because Darwinianism is a religious belief system about origins. It's not actual scientific theory. So its followers defend it with blind zealotry. Why? Why do they defend it so passionately against all the facts and against common sense? Listen to this guy. This is atheist George Wald, Harvard University professor and Nobel laureate. And I quote, Modern biologists, having reviewed the downfall of spontaneous generation, yet unwilling to accept special creation, are now left with nothing. Another atheist said, We know spontaneous generation resulting in Darwinian evolution is impossible, but we must continue on in our pursuits or results, or it results in being accountable to a creator God. They have a mess. So how do they keep going? Well, First of all, it's found in how much people actually hate the truth. Especially the truth of a creator God you will be accountable to someday. Have you ever heard of punctuated equilibrium? Punctuated equilibrium. It's the theory that says, listen now, evolution happens so fast that when it does, it leaves no traces of evidence behind. What a grift. Listen now. Punctuated equilibrium. It's a theory that says evolution happens so fast that when it does, it leaves no traces of evidence behind. How convenient. Poof, a fish is now a squirrel. Left no evidence behind. Duh, that's why there's no intermediate species found in the fossil record, duh. Yet I'm the fool for believing that in the beginning, God. So the evil one continues to ask, how can we get Christians to get soft, stay soft, and be safe for every demonic activity and not be salt and light? One way is to appeal falsely to our own virtues. Another way is to shame us by using malevolent compassion. 
Another way is to bring a sight slight semblance of truth and righteousness, but enough falsehood to have Christians miss the point and miss the mark. I got an example that most of you have probably touched this week. I witnessed, I witnessed something from Satan that's so slick, a way to truly knock Christians back a few steps. It was brilliant. Make Christians feel bad while simultaneously having believers subconsciously reconsider if sin is really sinful. Oh, and let's also have something we can divide ourselves over. It's called the He Gets Us campaign. And I understand that there's been more Google searches from Jesus than, than Christmas time. I understand that this creates conversation in the, in the marketplace about Jesus. But is it sending us towards the real Jesus? I'm going to ask you straight up today. See, during the Super Bowl last Sunday, a group with $100 million to spend dropped $14 million to tell the world in an ad that ended with the words, Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. He gets us. See the problem with this? Remember the Spurgeon quote at the onset? Right and wrong versus right and almost right? pastor in Arizona said this, the biggest problem with the He Gets Us ads is that they ultimately reinforce the cultural stigma that Christians are hateful if we do anything other than wash feet. The culture may allow our demonstrations of love, but won't allow us to speak the truth in love. Wash the feet, but don't you, don't you tell us we're sinful. Don't you tell us we need a Savior. You might need a Savior, that's good for you, but we're rolling a different way. And we have that right. Yeah, you do. On the He Gets Us website, this is what it says. The campaign exists to remind us of the example that Jesus set while inviting all to explore his teachings so we can all follow his example of confounding unconditional love because he gets us, all of us. Do you see it? Do you have discernment? Do you really see it? Are we really supposed to explore his teaching and follow his example? Or do you see that that's a lame, very lame thing versus being our sacrificial substitute? Do you see how inadequate that is compared to the resurrected, rescued life, forgiven and made new? Once again, the cross is robbed of its glory. Pastor friend in North Dakota wrote this. If you want to be like Jesus, most definitely go and wash the feet of others. However, you should also take up a cross and die for them as well. You see, that is the problem with seeing Jesus only as a moral example. The cross is always forgotten. In other words, the he gets us ad, strip Christ of his sacrificial death and make him nothing more than a model peddler of soft, sentimental actions of love. Thus, when we make Jesus a soft peddler of pious love, the people will divide into two camps, those who supposedly love the way Jesus loves and those who do not love the way Jesus loves. So if you want division, do exactly what the He Gets Us ads did during the Super Bowl. And I've already seen it on Facebook. People are taking sides. You're like, Chris, aren't you taking sides? Yeah. The fact of the matter is that none of us are capable of washing the feet of our neighbors with pure hearts let alone bleeding and dying for them on a cross, which is why Christ needs to be the one who washes and the one who bleeds for every single person and every single tribe of every single background. These ads are nonsense. 
Peace and unity are not found when we set our ideological difference aside and wash one another's feet. But rather, listen now, peace and unity happen when our ideologies are crucified into Christ. And we find ourselves united together in Christ and in his word alone. Much different message. Tragically, the he gets us ads are made by people who do not get him. They rob the cross of its glory. Jesus doesn't get us. He bleeds and dies for us. It's much different. Somebody made an ad that should have ran during the Super Bowl. Now see, I'm a media guy. I've been in media for over 45 years. In fact, it's probably even longer than that. I did my first TV spot when I was 14 years old and I've been in it since then and I'm 59 this year. So whatever the math is on that. But when Tim Tebow and Focus on the Family can't run an ad that was totally benign, that just promoted life, do you think that he gets us ad was gonna actually be a testimony to Jesus? So some guy named Sean, I don't know, made this. I wanna show it to you. Go ahead, hit it. Don't ask me what you know is true Don't have to tell you I love your precious heart I I was standing You were there Two worlds colliding And they could never tear us apart So with all of that, I got one more thing to show and then uh, two scriptures and we're done. And when I show you this and we read this, my hope is you will see how soft this is and how it is really deceptive. And once you get past the sediment, you may see it for what it is. I call this cowboy fake love. Go ahead and put it up there. When we die... God isn't gonna ask us about the two men down the street who got married. He won't ask us about the girl who had an abortion. He won't ask us about the atheist that lives on the corner. He won't ask us about the woman who feels more comfortable as a man. He will ask us how we love those people he has called us to do, and some of us didn't. Do you see it? Throw the next slide up there. Somebody responded to that and said, this honestly is the equivalent of lowering the difficulty level of the game because you found the tutorial too hard. Do you see it? Apparently real love for others is ignoring them or condoning them in their sin because that is supposed love. Isn't that really what we're called to do? First of all, listen now, God isn't gonna ask you any of those questions. The one question you're getting on the other side is this. The only question we have awaiting for us on the other side is this. What did you do with my son and his sacrificial death in your place as your substitute? That's it. 
And if there's a question, as the great white throne judgment continues on us, the question will be loving thy neighbor as yourself. It'll be framed by being authentic salt and light. The scriptures back that up. Not this cowboy fake love garbage. It's nonsense. Leave them in their sin if you really love them. Common sense, folks. That's not, that's not cool in the eyes of the righteous king of kings. Salt and light is not showing fake love by condoning or ignoring every evil perpetrated in our midst. It is loving by sharing the one who can save from all evil. I have always said to people that want to debate me about abortion, again, for those of you who don't know, my wife and I for 17 years were in the public eye three hours a day every day in some of the major markets in America and syndicated across this great land. We used to get pounded almost daily, if not daily, weekly for sure. And I would always say to somebody who wanted to, you know, what about rape and incest for abortion? What about rape and incest? Okay, let's set that aside for a second. Will you agree with me that abortion on demand is wrong fundamentally before we talk about that other thing? Click. So what if there was a scripture that we could look at where we were told directly what to do? Directly how to be salt and light. Directly how to be you know, light in this generation and be salt in this generation. If there was a scripture, would you want to see it? Let me show it to you. There's many, but this is the one I'm going with. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Paul isn't mincing words. Paul isn't saying, you know, if you kind of think about it, maybe you could. No, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. In other words, this is real. It's about to get real up in here, is what Paul is saying. Verse two, you preach the word. You be ready in season and out of season. You reprove, you rebuke, you exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse three, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. How many, I wonder online, have already turned me off? How many of you sitting here wish you could get up and walk out? Verse four, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mist. Verse five, but as for you, who's the you? It's the authentic Christian who has laid down their life, left their whole life behind to follow Jesus because he's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's our sacrificial substitute. And everything comes out of that. Everything in life comes out of that. That's the you in verse five. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. One more scripture. John 3, 16, why not? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, and I'm a whoever, should not perish but have eternal life. So let's look at those four points again, just as a reminder. We need salt and light in our homes. It starts in our homes, people. It starts in our homes. We need salt and light in our church. We can talk, I can do, I can do two more sermons on each one of those two points, just I don't think it's necessary. I think you guys are smart. I think you've had enough garbage in your life. You can sort through it and you're like, I'm done with all this. Where can I go? 2 Timothy 4 is a good place. Three, we must tear down false gods. That means we must talk like I've talked last week and this week. Next week's gonna be a little bit different, I hope. 
I want to build up more, which is point number four. We must build up that which honors God. Part of the building up is sharing with you from this platform things that society has told you you're not supposed to hear in public anymore. Do you realize that? Do you realize to say that marriage between one biological man and one biological woman is an affront to our culture? There's even legislation in state houses right now to make that an illegal statement. What about the First Amendment? What about it? So that means there's one takeaway for us. That is repent. Repent. I repented this morning again. Daily in keeping with repentance. You hear me say that all the time. His mercies are renewed each day. And if you've not been baptized or you need to be baptized, you need to come see me. It's repent and be baptized. And then together, as long as I draw breath, Fresh Encounter will do all it can to be salt and light, and we want you to be a part of it with us. Be salt and light. And if God takes you away from our fellowship, we want to cheer you on to be salt and light wherever you go. This is not about building a church. It's about being the church with whoever God sends us. And in the words of Forrest Gump, that's all I got to say about that. Let's pray. Lord, I didn't have an ending for this because I know part three is next week. Lord, use these words however you see fit. Let us be faithful in our calling. Let us see the truth and the love in some of these words which some will twist and say is harsh. Lord, it's the most loving thing we can do is point people to you. All those people in that should have been ad, former this, former that, and the this and that are some of the most low lives of our society. I was one of those low lives. There are many people here that were that low life, and yet you've redeemed them. You've been their substitute, and you've given them new life. And Lord, let us stand. Everybody stand where you're at right now. Come on, stand up. Let us stand together, Lord, and worship you and make your name great in this place today because we're still free today. We still have the ability to worship you without fear. And Lord, keep that as long as possible in our midst. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Salvaged by God is the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Danielson out of Fresh Encounter Church in Harlan, Iowa. For more of Chris's teaching and a couple podcasts you might like, go to freshroadmedia.com.